We are in Matthew 7 today, starting in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Would you, would you pray with me, please? Father, I just want to thank you for your word. Lord, if there has ever been a message where I need to be absolutely hidden, it's this one. Would you hide me behind your cross? Holy Spirit, you're the only real teacher. Would you come and speak and give us hearts that will respond to Jesus and um, do whatever you tell us to do, God. Please help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Title of the message is The Way to Life. We're in a parable or in a series on the parables. It's called the kingdom of heaven. And a parable is defined as taking something familiar that all the hearers, this is very familiar to us to describe something that is unfamiliar. And so in the, in, in today, here are the familiar. Gates, fruit trees, and seaside homes. Very familiar to Jews in that day. Here's what was unfamiliar. Eternal life or destruction, discerning true and false prophets, and how to have a faith that will last. So here's point one. A small gate. Enter by the small gate. Turns out the gate that leads to eternal life is only one person wide. John 10, 7 through 11. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd 
lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus came from heaven, took on flesh, was born in our history, lived a perfect life, and then offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that there could be a way for human beings like me and you to be saved. It's only one person why. To be saved, you have to be saved through Jesus. Now, I, I just find Christians arrogant and narrow and so filled with themselves. How could there be one way? And why is your way better than my way? And, da, da, da. and uh, what, is the, what is the answer to that? Well, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the truth is, is Christians aren't narrow. Jesus is narrow. Jesus is the one that is narrow. And we're just his followers. So we don't have a right to change what he said. And he said that there's only one way. He's the only way. And part of it, part of this is, is, that, is this idea of Jesus is the truth. I don't know if you've noticed this about truth. Truth is very narrow. Two plus two equals four. Well, what if I think it's five? Well, you're welcome to think it's five, but that's, it's wrong because truth is very narrow. Now, I will absolutely grant that five is certainly a closer answer than 20. Yeah, I mean, there are groups that are closer, but Jesus, Jesus is the way to eternal life. Now, having said how small that gate is, it's also, it's just as important to remember how wide God's love is. God lo God's love includes everybody. God loves every single human being on the face of the earth. Jesus died for every human being on the face of the earth. And so he is drawing all people, but everybody that's going to be saved is going to be saved through Christ. Now, it may not look how you think it should look. Like, for instance, the publican. He beats his chest and he cries out and says, have mercy on me, O God, I am a sinner. And Jesus says he went away forgiven. Hey, he didn't pray the sinner's prayer. He didn't even use Jesus' name. I don't think it's right. What do you mean he's forgiven? How was he forgiven? I'll guarantee you he was forgiven because of the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus. He did not know the name of God's mercy. God's, God's mercy actually has a name, Jesus. So, so can, can God overlook what is currently in somebody's head when their heart is right and they're trying to follow the light and still bring them in? Who are you and I to tell God who he can and can't save? Okay? God loves people. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, um, God is patient. <laughs> Don't think that he's slow concerning his promise about the, the second coming. Um, he is patient because he wants everybody to repent. He wants everybody to come to the knowledge of his salvation in Christ. So oftentimes, just preaching the gospel creates an offense in the hearts of human beings. And here's the offense. All right, so there's this big chasm and that sin is created. And why, well, but, but why can't there be a bridge in front of me? 
Why can't it be good enough that I'm a good person or I'm a sincere person? Why can't that bridge be my sincerity? Or why can't, why can't I do enough good to overcome my bad so that, so that that would be how? And, and why can't it be Buddhist or Muslim? Or why, why, how, how can you say there's only one bridge? Here's what's really important to understand. We didn't come up with this. This isn't, we didn't decide this. God decided it, and and my advice is instead of complaining that God didn't make bridges in front of everybody and that if God really loves us, everybody's way would be fine. Instead of, I'm stunned that there's one way. Thank God there is one bridge over. And so instead of being offended, thank you, yeah. Amen. Thank God. Thank God there's a way to be saved. So instead of being offended that your current way is not going to make it, God calls us all to humble ourselves and move our worldview over to the way that he has made so that we can enter through the small gate. So at the end of this service today, if you have not entered the small gate, you will have a chance to do that. Point two, a narrow way. The gate that you enter into to be saved doesn't lead you directly into heaven. You get on a a very narrow way. And it is, so, so salvation isn't the end, it's actually the beginning of you following Jesus. <clears throat> However, it's easy, once you've been on the way, to go back to the road to destruction. And few stay on the narrow road. And Jesus said, many, many are going to say, Lord, Lord, that won't enter the kingdom of heaven. They're, they're going to say, Lord, we, 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 we prophesied in your name. We, we did miracles in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You, you who would not have a Lord, you, you entered the gate. <laughs> Clearly, they've entered the gate because they, they, they call him Lord. And they obviously have done some things and some, done some church in his name and have had some anointing. But yet, at the end of the day, Jesus says, you never knew me. And this is a very, very important Greek word. It's the Greek word, genosko, and it's the word for Intimacy. You never became intimate with me. Jesus Jesus said, if you love me, really love me, you will obey me. It, it, It comes out of intimacy. Obedience comes out of intimacy. But it is possible to enter the gate and instead of following Jesus, try to use Jesus for your own, your own thing. So I'm gonna give you two reasons why it's easy to go through that small gate but not, not end up on the narrow way, end up going back to the wide path. Here's, here's the first one. You can refuse to obey God because you simply don't want to follow him anymore. The way that Jesus made is in opposition to how you and I think it should be. So Proverbs fourteen twelve says this. There is a way which seems right to you and I that ends in death. It, and it's actually part of the, 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 the wide road to destruction. And so the way that God is going to lead you and me is counter 
to how human beings usually do it. So this, this picture of the, the, the house, that the waves and the winds and whoever hears my word and obeys them is on the rock, that, and they're, they're the ones that are going to last. Here is what's really intense about it. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So he has just given them a whole new way of living. He's given them a whole new value of how to approach life. And it's very different than anything humanity has experienced. And, but it's not enough to hear it or sing songs about it. You actually have to obey these words. And so there are, I, I want you to picture a highway, a narrow highway that you're on, okay? And you know how those highways, they always have exits, Exit coming up, and they usually have a McDonald's sign. I usually take that one. Um, you know, and, and gas stations and hotels. And so there's lots of ways to get off the highway. So I want to give you four exits. Four exits that, that people take, people that were on the narrow, they, they came through the gate, they got on the narrow way, and then they decided at some point, no, nope, I'm going to exit because I, I don't want to live this way. The, the first exit is called Pride. So the way the Sermon on the Mount starts is blessed are the poor for theirs, theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor get the kingdom. Now there are two Greek words for poor. One of them are those that are having trouble making it through life. They don't have enough to make it. So they're always a little behind. And, and then there's another word for poor that is beggars. <laughs> The unemployed poor. I mean, they, there's no means at all. And the Greek word used here for the poor is that second one, the one for beggars. That you and I have to start by saying, I've got nothing to offer. <laughs> I don't have any religion. I don't have any good deeds. I don't have, a, spiritually, I am bankrupt. Okay, that is, you just positioned yourself now to receive the kingdom of God. Jesus says, but it doesn't just start out with you acknowledging that you need a savior, but that he goes on in, in that this is going to lead you to a life of prayer, that it, the, the Lord's prayer is in there and, and seek and ask and knock and keep seeking and keep asking and keep knocking. And that, that this Christian life is going to be one of dependence on God. And then he says these horrible words, don't judge lest you be judged. In the way you judge, it will be measured back to you. And instead of you being judgmental of the sliver that is in your brother's eye, why don't you pay more attention to the log that's in your own eye? This is, this is it's not the way of humanity. Micah, Micah 6, 8 says, this is what is required of you, O man, that you do justly, that you love mercy, and that you walk humbly with your God. Do justly yourself, love mercy for everybody else, and walk in humility with God. Doesn't that sound great? That's so beautiful. Here's the problem. It's exactly opposite of how we would approach it. Here's, here's America, okay? We do mercy for ourselves. Oh, I didn't mean it. 
I'm tired. I was hurt. There's a thousand excuses we will make to give mercy for why we didn't do the right thing. Okay? If that's not bad enough, we love justice for others. Well, they're to this, and they're to this, and they're that, and they're that, and they're that, and they're that. And what comes natural to us is to walk independent of God. And I'm going to do my own thing, and I'm going to do it in my own way, and I'll have a little religion on, but only enough to control. I want to go to heaven one day, so I need that ticket, but I'm, gonna, I'm basically doing it my, my way. Pride. That's one exit you can take. Here's another exit. And ultimately, Jesus takes us as we are, praise God. But ultimately, you'll have to choose between your pride and Jesus. Here's the second exit, unforgiveness. The Sermon on the Mount is packed with this. In the Lord's Prayer, if you need to forgive, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. And then if, in case we didn't get it in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus ends by saying, for if you don't forgive others, the Heavenly Father won't forgive you. Now, how forgiveness works is, it's, it, Paul explains how it works in Ephesians 4.32. It starts with God forgiving you. It says, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So when you come to Jesus, he forgives you. And it's just an amazing weight off of you. And I'm forgiven. And God, I just love you so much. I, I, you're so great. You're so amazing. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I love you so much. Thank you for forgiving me. And then there's a little tap. Oh, I need you to forgive your, your, your dad. I'll never forgive my dad. I need you to forgive your boss. Nope. Not doing it, not doing it. Because what he did is not right. It is not right. I have a right to be angry. I will be angry, and I'm not doing it. And Jesus just kind of gently says, the greatest injustice was not what your boss did or your dad did or somebody, your relative did. The greatest injustice is what happened to me on the cross. And so as you're wor- part of your worship to me, I need you to, to forgive them. It gets worse. Jesus says this. <laughs> If anyone harbors anger in their hearts, they have committed murder in God's eyes. That's strong. Then, love your enemies and pray for those who are persecuting you. I just, I'm not, I don't like any of this. I, I've, I'll do what I want. And, and so God, God says, this is my way. If you want to follow me, this, this is my way. And he'll, he's gentle with us. He's kind with us. He waits for us. But ultimately, you're going to decide between your unforgiveness, your offense, your right to be angry, and Jesus. And, and, and everybody will decide that. There's another exit. Lust. <laughs> Jesus said some things. In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, if any of you lusts for a woman in his heart, he's already committed adultery. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The, uh, America just hates this. Most of America takes this exit because who does God think he is to say he's put this sexual desire in me and the idea that I can't fulfill it however I want to, whenever I want to, would be mean. I'm exiting. If that's what Christianity requires, I'm exiting. And then there's a fourth exit. Greed. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you, 
You can't serve God and money. <laughs> You're going to have to make a decision. <laughs> you, ultimately, either I run everything or money runs everything, but you are going to have to choose. And he gives some antidotes to greed, that, that we are to be generous with others. He's trying to break that idolatry and that we are to not fear provision in the future. That we are not to live like, the, the Gentiles live like this. They're just, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? And what am I going to eat and drink tomorrow? And, I, and their whole life is consumed with making sure that I am provided for it. And Jesus said, listen, your father knows all that. And I'm calling you to live differently. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. I will take care of you. Stop worrying. So there's four exits the people get off, that choose to get off because they simply don't want to live. They don't really want to follow Jesus. And, uh, and so you, you, at some point, you have to make that choice. And if this isn't bad enough, these four exits, there is another way to get off the path. And that is to follow the wrong leaders. You would think... If you're just following your leader, whoever your leader is, and that somehow, if they go wrong, and, but I'm just following them, it's their fault, it's not mine. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, no, it's your fault. You actually need to watch your leaders. If you follow the wrong leader, you are going to end up in the wrong place. And so you need to watch. You need to watch. And he says this, don't, don't look at their gifts. Don't look at their anointing. There's a, there's a real warning for the charismatic church in this passage. I don't know if you noticed it. They're very anointed. Miracles, prophecy, we cast out demons. Jesus says, you measure by fruit and not gifts. Don't, don't be distracted by the big signs and the big miracles. You go by fruit. So... Who are the wrong leaders? 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So they take... They're anointing and they're calling, and then they start teaching something that is contrary to the gospel. What, what, would, what would that be? What would that, that tickling ear message be? Okay. I am so glad you asked. This is working out perfectly. You guys ask the questions, I'll tell you what the Bible says. Um, number one, you can be proud and arrogant and prayerless and still be a Christian. Number two, you can be angry. You can be angry and unforgiving and still be a Christian. It's fine. Oh, really? I can be saved and still be angry at everybody? I love this. Thank you. Let's get more of that. Please tell me. Uh, a third one, you can, good news. We've got a new Christianity. You can be immoral and still be Christian. Really? I don't have to deal or wrestle with my lust. I don't have to try to be pure. I can just go ahead and do whatever I want to do and God will forgive me and I'll still make it. Yeah, that's what we're saying. 
Jesus rebukes the leaders at Thyatira. He says, here's why I'm rebuking. You guys got a lot of good things going on in your church. Here's why I'm mad at you. You are tolerating Jezebel. It's not because there's a woman speaking in church or a woman's allowed to teach in church. No, it's about what she's teaching. She calls herself a prophetess and she teaches that it is okay to be immoral and idolatrous and still be a Christian. And God says this, and I'm not just concerned about her. God does love her, but all of her children following her, they'll all die. They're all going to die. And it's because you guys won't speak the truth because you were afraid because she called herself a prophetess. And if you rebuke her, then you're confronting God's anointed. Or maybe she was really wealthy and half the church would live. Maybe her following is huge. And for whatever reason, you know, we're going to just let her do whatever because we don't want to cause any trouble. Well, uh, guess what? A leader's job is to make trouble. We, we, we are supposed to speak the truth and tell people where the dangers are. And the last one is you can be greedy. You can be greedy and be a Christian. This one is very tender because when you take your anointing and, what, and your calling and you gain an influence and you realize I can use this to make money. You, come, you need a miracle. Come to my ministry. Send a gift. Send a seed. Miracles. Da 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 da. Oh my. Watch out, folks. Watch out. So there is a Greek word. Does it seem like I'm using a lot of Greek words today? I'm sorry about that. My sister, my, my daughter, Anne said, Dad, I want you to know that I want you to do my wedding but I'm asking that you don't use any Greek words. <laughs> so I, I did do her and Josh's wedding and use no Greek words, but we're not, this isn't that. So, um, so the NASB, Hebrews 13, 17 says this, obey your leaders because they're going to give an account for your soul. Okay, seems straightforward. Then the NIV says this, have confidence in your leaders, because they're going to give an account as ones watching over your soul. So are you kidding me? Which is it? Is it obey or is it have confidence? So it's a very tricky Greek word because it really means both. Here's, here's what it, the, the full word means. Obey those you have been persuaded that you can trust. So it's actually, the onus is on you to choose the leadership you're going to follow, that you need to be persuaded this is a trustworthy leader, and then I obey because I have confidence. And so the onus is not just on the leaders, it's on those following the leaders. Two wrong motivations of leaders. Oh, yeah, I already read that. Okay, we're good. They care more about themselves than God or their people. Here's John 10, 11 through 13. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The hired hand is using the sheep for his own preservation, his own income. And so if trouble comes, I'm, I'm out. I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here. Here's what Jesus said. Peter, do you love me? 
Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. A shepherd never, a, a pastor never owns the sheep. Jesus owns the sheep. Jesus alone owns the sheep. And he says, as part of your calling, Peter, because Peter wants to go back to fishing. As, as, as part of your calling, to, the, if you really love me, I'm assigning you to share my heart for, for my people. I want you to teach them. I want you to shepherd them. And I want you to tend them. Second wrong motivation of leaders, they draw people to themselves instead of to Jesus. Acts 20, 29 and 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So listen to Matthew 7. Wolves are going to come, but they're going to be in sheep's clothing. They're going to look good. They're going to say the right thing. They're going to have all of these appearances of, uh, they're using the Bible. They're anointed. Then obviously, no, no. Here's what Paul says. Here's the definition of a fierce wolf. is somebody that is drawing people to themselves instead of to Jesus. That's a wolf. What does it look like? Uh, let's take prophecy, okay? So I've got my own website, and I've got a prophetic gift. I'm mad at the body of Christ, and so I'm going to give what God is telling me, and uh, this, is, this is what God is saying, and everybody else is wrong, and please, you need to follow me because I am God's prophet, I am God's thing, and please send money. I, I, I'm mad at the local church, but it's because... Well, God's done with the local church. He's spoken to me, and I'm the prophet. And so come, come, come. What does it look like? Uh, my ministry and my doctrine is the only right doctrine. Everybody else is wrong. Every other church, if you leave this church, you'll probably go to hell. Because this is, this is the right way. And I'm, if you go there or you go there, I'm scared for you. Because we're doing it right. And this is the only right way. And so... Fear and guilt used controls people to keep them my own, my own thing, my own way. John the Baptist calls himself the friend of the bridegroom. What he is describing in our terms today is, I'm the best man. Jesus has asked me to be the best man at his wedding. And my, my joy, my delight is in the bridegroom and in hearing his voice. I am so honored. I'm so excited to be the best man of the bridegroom. Now, if the best man that you chose starts flirting with the bride, starts trying to draw the bride's attention to you instead of to the bridegroom, how many know that's a betrayal? That's a horrible, horrible betrayal. This is not about your favorite speaker or your favorite church or your anything. This is about Jesus. This is about a coming wedding and, and Jesus is getting his bride ready. The picture of ministers using their gift and their anointing to get people to follow them rather than to follow Jesus, that's got to send some red lights off in us. Somebody say amen. All right, let's get to this last point that is the only 
positive point. <laughs> All right. Actually, and this is actually a brutal point too, but it's way better. <laughs> so it's a small gate. It's a narrow way. And then thirdly, it's a broad life. Jesus called it the abundant life. I came, I came, the thief is the one that's come to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that you might have life, and not just have life, but have an abundant life. So you get on this way, how do you get to the abundant life? So when we were at our staff retreat, we're in the middle of it, I had a little picture, and, and so this is actually from that, but I'll just say it how it is. So when you get saved, you come into this, I just want you to picture this. You come into this room and you are in this room and you are saved and you're so happy to be saved and you're so excited to be saved and, and I'm forgiven and, and, and I, you know, I feel that assurance that God loves me and that God is for me and that I'm forgiven of my sins and, and then Jesus comes and and he tells you to do something. Maybe it's get water baptized. And you say, I don't want to get water baptized. I don't, I don't like that. I don't like being in front of people. I don't like saying something. I was sprinkled anyway as a kid. I don't want to get, I don't want to get water baptized. I'm not going to get water baptized. Now here's, the, here's the difficulty. Jesus will not make you get water baptized. But if that's what he's speaking to you about, you think you're stubborn? You have, you've seen nothing. Here's the difficulty when we disobey, okay? First, here's how it affects heaven. It doesn't. God's always going to have a good day. Whether you're having a bad day or not, every day that God has is a great day. And he's got time. Oh my, he lives outside of time. So he's not going to, you got to do it right now. No, he's like, okay, you don't want to do it? Okay. No, but the idea that you're going to, well, tell me something else. And how about that? God will always bring you back to the thing he told you to do. He's just like that. Now, here's why he's so excited about obedience. And, and, and the key is right in your hand, this key of obedience. Okay, Jesus, I'll, I'll obey. And so you, 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 and you were afraid of obedience. You were afraid of what people are going to say. You were afraid to, and you open this door and you go into a bigger room. And now there's, there's more joy, there's more intimacy, there's more power, there's more s sense of security. It's like, why was I afraid to obey? This is amazing. I love this. Oh, I feel like I got saved all over again. And then there's a little tap on the shoulder. I want you to forgive your dad. Nope, not doing it. Not doing it. Not, I'll do anything, but not that. I'll, I'll give more money, but I'm not doing that. And God's like, okay, I get that. I get that. How come God's not speaking to me anymore? How come there's no sense of love? And, and so you, you come to the, oh, God, what's wrong? God, what's wrong? He says, oh, forgive your father. Don't be like that, God. You know I don't want to forgive my dad. God, I'm, I, I'm willing to do anything else, just not that one thing. And God's like, that's the only thing I'm interested in right now, is you doing that. Now, you feel like if you do that, you know, justice is not served and he's getting away with it, whatever. But you go ahead and you, because Jesus said, so I'm going to go ahead and forgive him. And you open this door. <gasps> oh my. Now there's an even bigger room, more joy, more intimacy, more security, more experiencing the love of God, more worship. I can't believe that I waited so long at that 
door. And I want to, I want to give you two things about this door. <laughs> One is this. If you're unwilling to obey, you're going to stay in that room that you've been in. And it's called the discipline of the Lord. I asked Dave Bechtold if I could use this story, and he says, go for it. And uh, so Dave, Dave's got these brothers, and, and his dad's a pastor, and growing up, Dave was always grounded. You know, and his brothers were just really obedient, and they just, they just experienced so many things. They had so much freedom, and, and Dave was always grown. He's always mad. He's always, he's always got to stay in his room, and, 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 and dad would come to Dave and just say this, Dave, life could be so good if you would just get with the program. Do you think I love disciplining you? Do you think I want you in, grounded at your room? Because this is the heart of God. He doesn't want you locked up in your room. He wants you to obey. He wants to take you to another place. Now, here's the other thing that's very, very important. So please hear this. There is no room that you're going to enter if you're obedient enough where the wind and the waves will stop crashing against your life. There's no trouble-free room, folks. If I obey God, and if I do everything just right, then life will be easy, and I will be sovereignly protected from the wind and the waves. Nope. Nope. As long as you're on this earth, if you are in a place where there's no more wind and waves and no more trouble in your life, you're in heaven. You, you, you just went through the last door. You're in heaven. That's where you are. But as long as you're here, Jesus says very clearly, both lives are going to have the wind and the waves. Here is the difference. When you are obeying God, the wind and the waves can't hurt you. In fact, they make you more secure. They make you more secure. God uses the winds and the waves and the troubles to purify us. They, they make us be humble. They make us depend on him. They make us press into him. They make us, how many know when the wind and the waves are hitting your life, you repent of everything you can possibly think of? <laughs> so do you see that God can get you into the next room just by bringing the wind and the waves? God, I'll do anything. I'll do it. I, I can't. Okay, I do this. Really? Yeah. So, so just because you've got the wind and the waves happening does not mean you're under God's discipline. It just means you're still on the planet. My last point, the broad life, is this obedience, is the obedience of faith. Let me read it to you. Romans 1, 1 through 5. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. The obedience of faith is very different than the obedience of law. The whole Old Testament was the obedience of law. It was all based on human effort and human uh, strength, and it, and it ends in absolute failure. In fact, the point of the law was to show us that we couldn't do it ourselves. And to those that thought they could, to the, the most holy Pharisees that Pharisee means set apart, and they're, they're keeping the law, and we obey the law. Jesus comes to them in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, listen, guys, 
To even hold anger towards somebody is already murdering them. To even lust after a woman in your heart is already committing adultery. Under those rules, oh my, we all fall way short. The most human religion and human willpower can do is clean up the outside of the cup. You could clean up the outside of your life and get everybody else to think you're really a good person and you're really religious, and, but you, can't, you and I can't clean the inside. Only Jesus can. So this guy is teaching middle schoolers, Sunday school. And uh, to try to keep them awake and interested, he uses magic tricks to illustrate Bible truths. Get them interested, and then he would say, when, here's what the Bible says. So one day he comes in and he's got his Bible and it's on a little table in front and there's a glove on top, a white glove on top of it. And he said, guys, I, how many of you guys think that I could say a few magic words and that this glove would pick up this Bible? And they're, they're doing the math in their head. It's like, how many? How many think that this glove can pick up this Bible? And they're, I'll just say the magic words and this glove will pick up this Bible. How many think? And, and no hands are up. They're like, nope, that's too much to believe. Just too much to believe. So then he picks up this glove and he says the magic words and he spins around. And when he comes back, he's got the glove on his hand and he picks it up. And one kid in the back says, that's not fair. He said, The glove didn't pick it up. You picked it up. It was your power that picked it up. And he said, this is the Christian life. God is the hand. He said, said, no, the glove did pick it up. But it picked it up with the hand. The hand fits into that glove. And together, they picked it up. This is how God made us. He made us for intimacy with himself. We're in union with him. We can keep any command that he gives us. to. We can obey anything. Why? Because it's his power. It's his power that does it. We just say yes, and it's his power. Philippians 2.13 says, it's God within you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That God is inside of us so that we don't have to just live in our natural thing and just be constantly fighting. I don't want to go, you know, the exits are everywhere and I find myself going, no, I'll forget. You got off, you got off, you got off. I forgive you, get you back on the road, get you back on the road. But I'm doing more than that. I'm coming to live inside of you. And the more you abide in me and the more you're intimate with me, I will make you want to do the right thing. And it'll be easier and easier to stay on this narrow road. And if you will choose to obey, I will empower you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me.